Welcome to Business and Investing with Grant and Charlie, where we are enhancing your complete set of skills to build wealth inside and outside your business. Charlie, I'm curious. Have you ever had the experience of having like brushing your teeth and then drinking OJ? Do you know, I've never actually done that, Grant. I'm struggling to come up with a reason why anyone would do that. When I was a kid, <laughs> my mum used to brush her teeth and forget to drink the orange juice. And then she would drink the orange juice and it would taste horrendous. And if anyone's no, listening to this- Why was there orange juice there at all? Because she forgot about it. She forgot about drinking her coffee and she'd forget about drinking her orange juice. So it'd be like a third left. And she'd be like, cool, I got to go. And then she'd brush her teeth and she's like, all right, kids, get in the car. Let's go to school. Right. So we're and in the like, morning, right? In this the morning. is the morning Smart. run. Got you. This is, yeah, this is not like 2 p.m. in the afternoon going, oh, I can't wait to get some orange juice. I got to brush my teeth and have some orange juice. <laughs> no, that's not it. Like, is this a thing? <laughs> so, dude, so I had a soothers and a cup of coffee. Same experience. Now I'm sitting here going, I wonder what other experiences feel the exact same where you've had something really good for you. And then after it, it's just ruined everything. And I've got it. You're not going to say my newsletter, are you? I've just the newsletter. It was experiences. Dude, it is like, it is exactly the same. If you're trying to listen to a podcast and you are not subscribed to their newsletter, it's the same as having brushing your teeth and having OJ straight after it. So if you're sitting here with this weird found taste in your mouth, I got you. The remedy is go over to businessandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter, put in your name and email, and then this taste that's in your mouth will dissipate. It will disappear and you'll feel great. Just saying. Hashtag cue the disclaimer. It's Charlie here from Business and Investing, and I need to let you know that Grant, myself, and the Business and Investing team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you personal or specific financial advice. We strongly encourage you seek out and use professionals when you are making investment decisions or comparing investment products. All right, Grant, thank you for that. Well, I'm not even sure where to put this. Just so eloquently put intro. That's exactly right. That's what I'm here for. That's it. Now uh, was a, you was can continue the rest of the episode. <laughs> well, we got a fun one today. Um, a little while ago, we made an episode on how to scale a web design agency. And I tell you what, we got a lot of feedback on that episode. Heaps. Heaps. Not all good, I'll mention. Most, no, most good. Most good. That's me replying back to our own email saying, do better. Well, I, the number one piece of feedback I got is many people enjoyed the episode and then the follow-up was, could you do this for my business? Could you make this style of episode for my industry? Like I you know, appreciated some of the thoughts and suggestions you guys made. It was an interesting conversation. Let's do it for other industries. So for everyone out there that's listening right now, We're going to do that. That was in the plan. So if you would like your business or your industry to be covered, please reply to one of our emails and let us know. Grant and I put a bit of work into research and prep so we can uh, attempt to add some value to these things mixed in with our own experiences. It would help if you're on the email list. Well, I'm saying it's a filter. Like I'm like, I'm looking at questions and if I don't see the email address, subscribe and go on through. That's actually very reasonable. Charlie. It's called marketing, Charlie. I'll teach you about it one day. (laughs) Thank you. I'm I'm still yet to learn it. I've heard good things. One of these days you'll learn some sales and marketing. I'll get you coming. All right. And as we do with every one of these episodes, we appreciate letting us know who had a better idea. So 
If you have listened to this episode, I'd love to know if you think Grant's ideas and ways of uh, scaling and going about this business are better or if I will take the crown. And at the end of the year, we'll tally them up and declare a a champion, I feel like, is the way to do it. Crowned with a hat and then they get to wear the hat. I'm down. So should I get into today's niche? I will say this. Out of every single idea that we had, this was the one that you jumped into and that you're like, nup, 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 we're doing this one. And I feel like this is a home court advantage. This is yes, I'm playing to win. <laughs> That's my caveat. All right, let's get into it. Did you think this was meant to be even? Oh no, fair? I knew, I knew exactly, and I was still smoking. Don't worry about it. Like if I you're seven you. foot ten and like basketball, and, you know you got some advantages. Play to win. Man, this, this industry is David versus Goliath, and uh, who won that one? David did. Now, what's so. interesting about this one is the person who sent this. Uh, He's got some questions and made the recommendation of his niche, has asked specifically not to be named. Yeah, I know, right? He's like, please just don't name me. <laughs> Which I don't know why, but I'm going to hold up with that and we're not going to name this person. I suspect it's because maybe he's got people he works with that listen to the show or something like that where he wouldn't want to be named. Okay. So we'll just, we'll just roll with it. Now, this person is a carpenter and just gone builder. So we're going into the trade arena on this episode here, Grant, which is where I would like to think I've got some court of home, some sort of home court advantage, aka Goliath. Maybe, and I'll, we'll see. I'll bring my sw- slingshot. I got you. Uh, I guess we'll see. One of the things I think you'll add a lot of value here, though, is that for people that are in a business, sometimes all they can see is the inside. Totally. Where it's the outside perspective of like you have a very different business experience which enables you to see things differently where your ideas might be unique and better. I wonder if he wants to open an agency. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that. Maybe. We'll say maybe. It's great. Uh, yep. All right, so we're going to do it as a back and forth. Uh, I'm going to, me and Grant have both come up with our own ways we would go about this. Now, I wanted before we get into this one just to discuss some of the challenges around trades and builders uh, and carpenters specifically because not a lot of people know these ones and I think it sets up the context of what we're going to cover. It's also very different and this person has specifically asked this question because they heard the web design episode and their idea of getting margins similar to what can be done in digital agencies or that niche very different. So can we kick off there? Definitely. Take us on the journey, Charlie. Okay. So uh, again, for those that don't know, although I've said it enough on this podcast and another opportunity to bring it up is that I actually did a plumbing apprenticeship. I was Say plumber. what? I had seven <laughs> years. Wait. I, was in, I was in there. Get out. Yeah. And dad, builder is a carp- and a carpenter. People would have heard that as well. Like Never I've seen it. and been around this industry a lot. And there's some things I would reference. So number one, is that for a lot of carpenters and concreters and any of the trades that are heavy on labour, you don't see a lot of older people doing it. Seems right. to be a bit tough on the body. Yeah, hugely. So you've got to think of this one like uh, being an athlete, right? Your career might only last to a certain point and then you really have to think differently about it where if you are in digital agencies, the reality is if you can do it in your 20s, you can do it in your 60s and, and be fine. So you've got to put different factors into this one. Completely. Um, the second thing that makes the trade particularly industry is the margins are not the same as what can be done in other things. And we'll discuss ways to work around this, but the reality is in the types of these businesses, I think it would be an absolute rarity, not impossible, but a rarity to find a carpenter that does an over 50% margin unless it's just him working on the tools and he's excluding his own labor cost. Completely. Good. Third good thing that makes this one... 
Go for it, Grant. Good, good way to manipulate margins. <laughs> just, just don't count your own time. I know I'm talking about the downsides, but this yeah, is totally. uh, we'll get into the pros. I think most trades don't recognize their advantages. They totally. don't use them properly. And in hindsight, I recognize that I didn't see them, but we'll we'll get to that. Uh, the third thing that makes uh, the building industry really interesting in Australia is it's quite common to be paid on 90-day terms. Mm-hmm. So the cash flow cycle is really atrocious. atrocious. And uh, to let people know how this actually happened, quick side story, um, way back, I think it was actually in the 50s, Australia needed to grow. People had come back from the wars and they needed to find a way to fund the growth of Australia and build the country. So it was actually brought in as a policy to do 90-day terms so that everyone could get to work. But they just never reversed the decision. At How 90 days. How convenient. Yeah. And there's been some uh, very big builders out there and developers that have made a lot of money off this. So yep. to give you an idea, if you're – and I won't name the company that did this, but it's quite famous that – one of the builders in uh, and developers in Melbourne used to make huge amounts of money off basically gambling with uh, people's money before they had to pay it to trades. So they get hired to do a build. They've got this money and then they didn't have to pay their trades for 90 days. So they, get- they would be making money on that money. Uh, it doesn't sound risky at all, Charlie. Oh, it may have not gone as they <laughs> planned. But just a little side note there on just some things that make this particularly challenging. And I'm sure many people have uh, seen in the news cycle how many builders particularly have gone bust in recent times with the cost of materials going up, fixed price contracts, uh, the challenges of finding quality labour and qualified trades to work on things. Cost of labour. Yeah, yeah. This, this has a very different set of challenges. If you're in, uh, let's say, Victoria and you're a builder, you, you're limited by the labour you can get to actually come to your site, where us in the digital world, where we can hire from anywhere in the world, yep. different pros and cons here. I'm so excited to see what you're putting down. <laughs> Oh, well, do you, you want to go first or you want me to go first? Then? I do have one. I'm going to get you to go first, but I do have one question for you uh, just because I think it's going to be a key differentiator. So going from a carpenter to a builder, which I assume that's a licensed builder, what's the difference between a carpenter and a licensed builder? Yeah, that's, that's actually a really that, That's not for me, by the way. That's for listeners. It's assumed knowledge, right? I know, but the listeners <laughs> may not know. Right, so um, the way it works in Australia, just to get an idea, is that there are trades which is like your plumbers, your carpenters, your plasterers, Sparky. sparkies, all of that. And when it comes to um, – there's some things they can do on their own. Like if you need a light switch changed in your house, you can just ring an electrician and they'll come and change it. If you want a wall plastered, they can come and uh, just, you know, replaster a wall. But when you start to do things like building a new home, for example, or doing an extensive renovation, you would need a builder. And the power of this builder is the ability to come in and sign and say that, hey, you can live in this. Yep. Like this is, uh, what is it, habitable. So that is the real yep. value, to be able to sign off works for people to be able to live in. And then the next jump up from that is the developer. Now the de- uh, developer is, well, it could be an individual at times because we see that as well, but this is where you see like the hickories, the beacons, Gurners, like these are big developers who hire builders to do their projects. Interesting. Okay. And is there an oversupply of builders with licenses or is this a equilibrium or is there an undersupply? I don't, I'm just more curious as to like, is that alone its own benefit? Yeah. So the value of a building license is high. It's very high and I'll explain why. There used to be, I believe this was in the 90s, but it used to be substantially easier to get your license and then uh, they realised there was a lot of cowboys out there doing dodgy work. 
So they've actually really? made it more and more restrictive and harder to get your license. And the process of getting a license, I think it takes years now. It's yep. not something that can be done over that time. And you and there's all these things like you have to show proof that you can you're worthy of having a license. So for example, if I said I want to go get a building license, they're gonna say, What are you gonna use it for? And my means might not be enough. Even if I've done the course, they're gonna say, Well, you just want it to build, you know, a couple of houses a year versus in the example of our uh Right here. Listen, a question here. This is someone who's got carpentry experience, done builds, where he's much more suitable to have that. <sighs> I love it. Good context setup. All right. Give it to us, Charlie. I went first last time. You're up. All right. All right. So <laughs> it's going to be a, un- a bit different way of thinking about it. I'm going to go with from here. I'm all ready to shoot it down. Don't worry. I got you. Appreciate that. And ask mm. questions as, as we go here. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll poke holes in it. Psych, psych. (laughs) All right, so I'm going to go this one from here. If I was in this position from here, the first thing I would really look at is where is the demand of work going? Yep. I think this is a really important thing whenever you're looking at any business, but I'm a really big believer in trend spotting. You want to find a trend and something you can get behind and then you want to get that business in front of it. Now, I've actually mentioned this on a previous episode, but if I was a builder um, slash carpenter, the arena I would be going into is essentially providing renovations and uh, I suppose we'll call it services a little bit to the aging boomers. I think that is such a powerful mega trend. And I'm going to get specific is that if you look over the next 10 years, I see more lifts more disability handles, more ramps. I see a lot of these things going up in need massively and I do not see enough people paying attention to it. So I think there's a mega trend to get in front of of the aging boomers. I'm hearing what you're putting down and I'm liking it because it, it, it's a fact that like our population is ridiculous. It's um yeah, it's just a matter of time until it becomes even worse. And if I know anything from my own experience through my own grandparents, they don't want to sell up. They want to improve their property so that they can actually live in it. They want to bring in their medical goods. They want to bring in like wheelchair access. They want to do all the things as opposed to leaving and going to a home or something like that. We so can I'm- almost cover that in another episode. But I think the idea of boomers downsizing and moving into smaller accommodation, man, my my nan is 90 and like she will, oh, in her 90s, nearly 100 now. It's crazy. But she doesn't want to leave her house. She's modified it to keep it. My totally. mum, same thing. My like my Bianca's parents, same thing. Like they're all looking to stay in the places they are for longer. And especially when you wait out the cost of stamp duty. It's like, am I gonna, you know, move to another place and spend money on stamp duty, moving costs, the inconvenience, or am I gonna put a lift in? Am I gonna get a ramp done? Am I and there's a whole bunch of different services that come into that. I'm just using the obvious ones in here. So that is a, a niche I would particularly go after. And there's a second reason for this. Um, in the building industry, what I don't actually like is, uh, for example, when I used to be in this, is working for uh, places like volume builders. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is that when you have one main client you work for in that way and there's a 90-day cash flow cycle and builders be going bust everywhere, there's a lot of risk in it. I, I had a mate of mine who had a fencing company. like uh, He'd do the fences around the construction sites. That's exactly what made him go bankrupt. 
Huge. So Porter Davis recently gone into um, liquidation. Liquidation. Yep. All the trades that were owed money in that 90-day window. See ya. Yep. You ain't getting it. So um, I think that's a huge risk I would want to be wary of. I personally would much rather have more individual jobs working direct with people to do that type of work because there's far less risk in the work. Yep. So if you've got to work for a Porter Davis-style builder or a volume builder, you would need to have so much cash in reserves, not to mention you've got to be able to have the size of team and workforce to be able to meet the demands of that. It's just a. I, I personally wouldn't be comfortable with that risk. I think it's potentially dangerous. And I know that, you know, there's advantages to it as well. But if I was a carpenter in today's environment, I'd want to be getting um, – or build, I'd be wanting to get away from that. Totally. I'd be wanting to get into this side of things where, you know, you might do a lot more smaller jobs or have a lot more client in that way. Cash flow cycle is going to be much better. I think you can do really unique things with payments of going, cool, here's your quote. If you pay up front, it's 10% off. Yeah. So – well, I'm, I'm even seeing this across other industries um, where like it's becoming a gig economy where people and families are looking to actually pay that person that does the thing and using a lot of smaller companies than going to like one big company that kind of services them all. So they'll use like a personal tax account. They'll use all these little people as opposed to just going to one big company just saying, hey, just go and do it all. And so I, I think that this is also going to be a trend where people don't want to just go to the one, they want to go to the bespoke, the individuals, as opposed to just like the one whole hock of, what is it, jack of all trades, master of none. They want to go to the specialist who does the specialist thing, especially in this one, like the elderly living. It's like, you're the expert on this one thing. I've got you. I, I'm in as opposed to going to someone. So what do you want? A lift and a handwriting? Yeah, no worries, man. We can do that. No, well, it's special. very specialized work in a lot of cases, particularly lifts. And I realize that, you know, you might have to massively renovate a home to put a lift in, right? Or you might have to change access. There's a, a lot of different variables within that. But I like that as the niche. This also, uh, I, I hope you can appreciate in this, is the big D risk I'm doing on uh, cash flow cycle. Oh, I don't want to be in I that know. game. Totally. I want really strong front-end cash and I'm only going to go after things to do that. And I actually perceive you'll probably have better margins as well. Yep. So a little, little quick side note story, and I know I might run long on this one, but um, I know uh, from when uh, my father was in the industry and he was actually a building supervisor for one of these volume builders at times, they would just give the price. So they go, we're willing to pay X amount for a frame to be built. Yeah. Yep. And they'll just go to all the framers and squeeze them and they'll go, well, do you want the volume of work or not? He's willing to do it for this. Are you? This so is, There's such a good rule under that. Like I always, like every business has got like more than like 80% revenue, 60% revenue, 50% revenue off one customer. <laughs> it's like, don't do it. That is just it's way too big of a risk. And another friend uh, who may, who does listen to this show and shout out, uh, I won't name him in this because this isn't the, the greatest story, but it's like if you are you listening, you'll know who you are, um, where they had a really strong contract with the council, but those council contracts get reviewed all the time. They and do. it's like if the person who makes the decision on who gets the contracts changes and you don't have the relationship with that person, see ya. I saw it all the time. Very yeah. common. So I want to remove all that risk um, around that type of way. And I think it's a, a really good way to do it. And not to mention is I can just see so much like from a marketing perspective, I can see search volume. I looked at this before, people searching for lifts, people searching for ramps. Like I think it's a, a really good place to work in and find and be a specialist in that. I think it's, I think it's good because there's, there are people who actively have the problem and the solutions are mildly known. 
right? They're, so it's not like you're trying to agitate a problem into a group of people that don't know they've got a problem. <laughs> it's like they've already got it. It's like, well, you're going to have to solve this anyway. And here's a better solution outside of selling up and moving somewhere else. I, I like it. Hugely. I also think this this scales well, right? So if initially you're just a carpenter and it's just you, you could essentially do this work as a one-man band and call in subcontractors to help you on projects where you needed it. Definitely. But if this goes well, is this can get to the stage where you're not on the tools at all and you can have people going out and do this work. So I like the scaling cycle of this. I like also the ability to market this. Right, so I would very much look towards like even a little sneaky one here. There's clearly suburbs where you know the population is older than in, in an area. Yes, or that, or that doesn't deliberately want to move. <laughs> like totally. they got into it so long ago that they're like, I'm just staying here forever. Brighton, yeah. old white money. They don't want to get out of here. I yeah. see people putting in lifts. Like yeah. this is apparent for me. <laughs> Rose Bay in like city. Like there are people that just don't want to leave. It's like yeah. So it. like you could literally go to those areas, and I actually think door knocking and letterbox drops could be effective because aging boomers don't use the internet in the same way that younger generations do. Not that I would say I think Google Ads would be very effective here as well. Totally, SEO probably as well. Hint, hint. But um, referrals becomes a thing because what do you think boomers have someone over for dinner? Who put your lift in? Yeah. How'd you get this ramp done? Yeah. Right? The whole bunch of things that I would really look in that. So two key points there, referrals. I've got marketing in there and like opportunities. And just to reiterate, I would heavily skew getting paid up front. I would offer a discount to get more cash up front. And, uh, you know, you might factor that into your pricing and quoting as well. Like maybe that's the real price, but then it's it costs them more if they want to pay it later type scenario from here. I'm with you. I'm liking it. Put little stickers on the bottom of your ramps and lifts. Absolutely. What one, two? Call this number. Put a sign out the front while you're doing the work, right? <laughs> the signs are like a for sale sign. Just <laughs> what are they going to do? Take it out? <laughs> but I would just uh, accidentally super glue one of their fence and not take it down. What Put are they going to do? on their car. Like just <laughs> do everything you can. Yeah, but ask for referrals as well, right? Totally. It's, you'd be surprised. You're going, look, we've just put this lift in. Do you know anyone else that needs a lift or some of these ramps? Are your friends sorted out? Totally. Uh, the locations is such a key thing for this because there are locations of people that just uh, they're going to be a bit more of a stickler on price, and I mean that in the nicest possible way. Like if you're talking about these suburbs that we're talking about, they're not going to be price conscious. It's not like they're trying to nickel and dime. There. I don't even think you have to go for premium markets in all honesty. So w- when I was plumbing, do you know how this one question made me so much money? I do like um I'd go and do what is known as a cash job and I would say, is there anything else you need help with? And they'd say, Do you know what I got a leaky shower? Do you know what this gutter's doing that? And I would just pick up little odds and ends and upsells just asking that. Totally. But I will say, if you are gonna go this route, it's like you have to be tidy. And what do I mean by that is like take your boots off when you're there, everyone's gotta be dressing clean. You can't, you got to be shaven. Like, you can't be a slob. You got to be well presented to do the relationship with the client stuff well, right? Again, pack up, tidy up really well, ask for the referral, put a sign up, be on time. Yep. Right. All those little things around. Cause again, I, I don't want to crap on tradies, but uh, we had a job done maybe a year ago and uh, at a place of ours, rocked up late, absolute slobs, huge amounts of music just pumping out of the van. Right, just all kind. We got a young kid at this point, tools and shit everywhere. I'm like, he's gonna take that and smash some shit, right? (laughs) 
So like it wasn't the best experience if you were going to come and ask me for, uh, you know, for a referral or something. I was like, I wouldn't wish this experience on someone else. Like maybe consider that. Especially the owner. Absolutely. Very, very important. But that would be the way I tackle it. So that's my like business model. That's my niche. That's the way I'm going about it. I like the scalability. I like where it's all going as a trend. But this is layer one. All right, give it, and it's highly. I suspect it's going to be quite profitable as well. It'll be reasonably profitable, but not profitable enough. So, um, I'll use the, I'll use an example here: is that um, in the worlds that you play, Grant, like the pretty much the thing in SaaS world is that you have the ability to sell for a high multiple exit. It's, the, it's the bait. It's all capital. Yeah. Yeah. So, in this type of business, the ability to sell at a high multiple is not there. Completely. Because you can't resell a customer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You've done the thing. (laughs) And you might have like a a factory or some vans or some assets and things like that. But at the same time, it's like, it's probably not going to be the thing that produces the retirement result you would want. But I think there's the opportunity to make really good cash out of this. Yep. So this is what I would do. Um, Once this business is established and you are generating, uh, let's say you're generating a surplus of 10 grand a month. At that point is the time when you start thinking about leverage and and I'm just going to use a simple thing is going from the idea of you do five days a week working in this business itself to you now work four days a week and you're going to spend one day a week actually working on your own projects. So the huge hidden advantage that carpenters and builders have is that if they were going to buy a house and renovate it, they could do the work themselves. Totally. Yeah. yeah. So when you get to that point in this model, I think the eventual transition plan is you just work on your own projects. So have the team do the sort of elderly conversions is what I'm going to call them. And then you're the one that goes and does your own projects. No, no. It's like to go even deeper than that. So using the five-day-a-week model I've got here. So initially you're working five days a week in the service business. Correct. Whole ambition is you're just going to get in there and work and uh, have this business and build it up to a point where it produces a spare 10 grand a month. Yep. Once you've got that, you're going to sacrifice one day a week of the whole company to go and work on your own things. Because if you've got carpenters and trades and other relationships, your ability to buy a property and do a renovation or potentially even do a development, right, is where you can do some accumulating. So I look at this right now and go, there's so many aging homes. There's so many rundown places. If you're a person with these skills and the ability to renovate, if you bought one house a year, renovated it, made it nice and kept it, keyword there, kept it, if you were accumulating one property a year, that is your exit strategy. That is building out to the point where you've made the use of your business skills and then turned it into something completely more. And over a period of five years, if you finished with five properties that you've done massive amounts of value add on and got them tenanted and been able to accumulate in that way, that's a way you can acquire a very substantial property portfolio. And then you, you've you had that in tandem to the business and now you've got both working for you in a really powerful way. And it's the unique advantages that you have over someone like we spoke about with an agency who's quite profitable but they don't have the skills to go and renovate and, um, yeah, like build a granny flat or do something else on, or do like some kind of improvement on properties that someone else has got the entire team to do it has. Completely. Think about you and I. So it, we can't tackle those projects. Yeah. 
so we, in the case of you and me, yes, we do have a cash flow business and we can go and move that money into buying assets, but I'm not signing off and doing mass renovations. I don't have the ability to go in there with a crew of carpenters that work for me and have them do things. Totally. Just think about this as well, utilizing downtime. If the company got quiet and you had you know a couple of guys hanging around, well, you can go and get them to work on one of your own properties. So totally. is it really lost time? All right, let me try and poke holes in it. Go for it. Interestingly enough, I, I don't. Is there a layer around location? Because obviously there would be some locations that wouldn't have as aging of a population, right, um, versus some others. Would you move for this kind of thing? Like is there some kind of risks or constraints that you see that someone might need to consider in here? Or do you see no matter where you are, this will be of some kind of demand? This will work in every capital city, the metro around it, and the major regions. It wouldn't work in very rural towns as a strategy. Just the demand or their ability, like their, their ability and desire to sell up and go somewhere else is probably Correct. greater. Yep. Okay. Any other risks that you see here or concerns that you're like, nah, these are th- some things that you might need to face along the way? Yeah, so there's trade-offs, right? So, for example, um, the very real thing is if you're doing this strategy and let's say you're in Melbourne, you're only doing this in Melbourne. So you and I have properties in other states, for example, where this is someone that would be accumulating in one state because the advantage they have. But this is what I look back on and didn't appreciate in what I had. Your ability to go and do works on your properties, and and this is the kicker. Let's say you uh, buy a property you go for a million bucks, you do a heap of work on it, and now it's worth 1.5. Totally. It's not taxed. It's only taxed when you sell it. Yeah. So uh, when you look at those types of advantages is going, this is a very uh, deferred tax strategy. Of course, you have to pay tax on it when you sell it. But if you're now accumulating assets, putting a huge amount of value add in them where you can get that in and then just leave it for 10 years, let compounding do its thing, you are now compounding in a tax-deferred environment way more powerfully than someone else can. I'd also mention that if you're buying renovations, you're paying less on stamp duty because you're not buying completed homes. You're buying... You buy like ones that people don't necessarily want to purchase. Yeah, you're buying it for a million dollars, not for the 1.5 when it's worth. So stamp duty works as a ratio there. That's that's a great point. And you're working against the clock as well based on the, the body clock being the thing that will give out. Which means yeah, that, that this is the whole retirement strategy. So again, I, and I suppose I am making an assumption, let's say someone's 30 and they're willing to work, potentially be on the tools for a duration and do it hard till 40, maybe getting off the tools and managing a crew at some point. But again, this type of model lends to that. Totally. And I think right-sizing this comes into the conversation. So if you were able to accumulate one high-quality property a year and do substantial amount of works on that, which you were able to fund out of the profits from the business, and you're doing that once a year, is there really a need to scale this, uh, I suppose we'll call it elderly assisted living for boomers? Elderly conversions. I got no idea. Yeah, well, well, boomer, boomerproperty.com. Um, anyway, the point, uh, boomer renovations. No, the point I make on this is like, if that's your strategy, when you think about the compounding of assets that's going on on the other side, like there's no need to scale to accrue 50. Totally. Yeah. Because it, it doesn't, the scaling and the increase of people to grow more profit to earn more is not required. Exactly. It's done out of the other side of the book. Totally. And then it will get to 
what do we call it? Like the hockey stick moment where the compounding of the properties that you have been maintained or that you've been renovating and holding on to will probably surpass what you're currently doing in the business to which then it just goes, well, do you still need to do the business or do you not need to do the business? So hypothetically, if you were able to, and I know this is a stretch depending on the way you want to do the numbers, but if you were doing one project a year and keeping it and you were able to keep going after 10 years, you've done 10 projects plus the compound value that goes into that, I dare say that machine is producing more profit value wealth than the business would be by a long shot. It's still fascinating how like these businesses keep coming back to, okay, well, you're going to have really good cash flow, uh, probability of selling it at the end, minimal potentially. It's just not going to get you the return you're looking for, which means you still need to have the strategy outside of it. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting because I took the same approach, which is of like, how could I start like looking over the fence <laughs> to like just not focus in on just the business? But I did, I concur. I'll give you a three out of 10. It was good. Cheers. <laughs> Do you think I didn't look back in time and didn't regret this? Because I was in a position at 20, like, so I was uh, qualified at 20. I could have done my builder license and started accumulating it. It was part of the reason I got into it. The challenge was, is I hated plumbing. So you are, you you are a very nice guy and you would do very well with the elderly people. I think that that would appreciate you coming over to cup some tea and installing some handrails. Do you think it's any surprise I was good at selling in this? Uh, is there anything else that I can fix you, fix up in your house? Uh, any other problems you need? <laughs> Get it. Do you want me to go through mine? All right, let's use yours now. I feel like I'm smoking you. I feel like I smoked you. This is your moment. All right, here we go. <laughs> Eminem coming in. Do you capture it or just let it slip? All right, so I'm going for second dwellings on properties, Charlie. I ex- expand on that a little bit further. I know we've spoken before, but like, let's let's no, no, get into it. I got this. you. I got you. So right now, there are a lot of people have properties and in a couple of scenarios one the builder has just gone bankrupt and they have nowhere to live which means that they are currently renting elsewhere Th- that is such a small number but continue cool. don't worry i'm going to add to it there are also a group of people who are staying at home with their families because they cannot afford to move out they're being compressed on the cost of rent they are also being compressed on the ability to purchase properties which means they're staying with their families so this oh. is the millennials who are still living with mum and dad. Completely. There are also a whole heap of people that are coming into the country that are trying to increase the density, shall we say, of people that live on a certain property, right? So if there's a group of people coming in from overseas, maybe a family and the extended family, and they're like, well, how can we maximize living on this one space? And they've got these similar problems, Charlie, which is how do we just get more people into this space? Or some other people that might have uh, increase in expenses with interest rates going up and all these kind of things saying, well, how can I get a little bit of cash from the property that I've got now to help me offset a little bit of what uh, my expenses have increased on? Can, can I th- throw one more in? It totally can. Uh, I would say there's a huge conglomerate of boomers who have parents they're looking after still that are getting quite elderly and probably moving in with them. I've seen a few of that in my own network in recent times. I also have uh, some additional on top of that, which is like I got people who've got a lot of land, like farmers and stuff, saying like, can I potentially put Airbnb out here? And so I'm sitting there going, there are these demands that lead to the same solution, which is small dwellings on these properties. Can I set some context on that? You so we're totally making can. the suggestion here that let's say someone lives on a 1,000 square meter block 
they've got a house on it and there's a really big backyard and there's room for something like a granny flat or a tiny home or something like that. Or The farmer's probably got a different setup, but the idea there's room on a block of land that someone already owns to add a second dwelling. Exactly. Okay. And that that's where I'm going for. And the benefit of this is from a construction perspective is if this gentleman's gone from being a carpenter to actually being a licensed builder, you can do the full install. So you can build the thing, go on the block of land, connect it all, sign it off, and then you can rent it out or you can do whatever. Like this becomes an actual building that's on it, okay. on the land. So in your scenario here, just to clarify, is someone coming out and building this like they would build a house or is this something where it's your – because you kind of hinted on the idea of you might be delivering this here. This is exactly where it rolls. All right. So I was thinking about going, looking at the current builders and going, okay, what are the scenarios that they have gone through? Not too dissimilar to yourself that I want to try and avoid. So you've walked through the 90-day cash cycle that uh, is, is very difficult. Another layer that I'm putting on top is like labor is very expensive in capital cities, right? So if you're trying to build something in Melbourne or Sydney, the individual to do the work is actually more expensive than out rural, et cetera. And so I'm like, okay, well, that's one thing as well. Um, but then also uh, we've had supply chain challenges in the past and I'm like, okay, well, how do you overcome them? And so you have these great innovations around prefabrication. So you purchase prefab things. And so my thought is you go and get a block of land outside of the metro areas or in rural areas and you essentially prefab these dwellings, right? So call them tiny houses. I reference a few things here. First off, I actually really like your niche. I didn't actually recognise how much demand for second dwellings there is likely to be in future. And When you lay out all those scenarios, I'll put it this way, over the next 10 years I see substantially more of this going on, particularly in metro Right, metro areas or major regions um, that didn't. So I actually, for a, a non-trade, uh, I'll give you a little oh, – wait, I've got a hat on. I'll do a hat tip. <laughs> a little hat tip, yes. Do, um, and I will say it's interesting in every one of these things, we look for the future demand. That might be a, a big hint for the uh, listeners, you know, stand in front of where it's all going. Well, that, that's what I'm looking for is that the trends on it as well. Now, the second but, thing I wanted to ask, did you get this idea from like shadow kitchens on Uber Eats? No, but Thailand. Because it's kind of similar, is it not? Or shadow kitchens, though. Yeah, totally. And so essentially what I become is prefab, putting it all together off-site and then going, installing it, and then the builder's license is the signing it off, right? And because of all of these demands that I've been referring to, um, it's actually a growing industry. I did something very similar to you, Charlie. So I mildly cheated. So I actually spoke to someone who kind of creates these at a very small scale, Uh and the paid ads. Wait, did you accuse me of playing on an unfair advantage like and then that? you've cheated? You like right, that? Cool, just so I know the how we're doing <laughs> no, this. Hey, man, I'll do anything to win. Kick your ass. Um, so I spoke to them. <laughs> Dude, the cost per lead that he's getting is ridiculous. And he's located in Queensland. It's like 10 bucks a lead. Like it's nothing. And he's just like the demand is ridiculous. He's like he just doesn't want a big company like that. And so I'm looking at this as a huge trend. In my question to him, over the last couple of years, have you seen this grow? He's like, yeah, I just can't service everybody. He's like, it's great because I just get to select the people I've got. So similar, the marketing on this is you're actually riding the wave versus swimming against a rip. Like this is everyone will come to you because they've got problems they need to solve. I dig it. I dig it a lot. All right. You've won so, me on niche. So you've what, got, can I, I ask a question on this though? Because this is one of the things where I look at it and go, 
in the idea that you're going to set up, uh, it's essentially going to be a prefab factory, right? You're going right. to have likely a factory or something similar to do this. There's a huge amount of capital required to get something like that off the ground. Is this something where you're going to try and rent a factory to start with or start with something small? Because in the nature of what you're talking about, it, it I see some potential cash constraints on this to make it work. I did research on that too. So turns out you can actually build these things outside. So I know two people <laughs> that actually it's actually really interesting. rented a yard and do this thing. The yard is outside and I've actually been there and they build the things on the yard. There's no roof, no walls, nothing. And so they rent You would this. essentially need like some – you could even get like a portable toilet, maybe That's run exactly some power from somewhere. It's not, actually not as unreasonable as I initially thought. It's totally – and so, man, they just have the generators coming in. And so, but then when they build the things, they oh, put that'd solar. be super expensive. Yeah. So, but then when they build the thing, they put solar panels on the roof. So when they're doing the fit out on the inside, they're all already got power in them. And so I'm like, I'm like, that's actually he's amazing. Doing, so he's that doing, is amazing. He's doing sales calls for every new place he's putting together. It's like in one of the ones he's built. That's awesome. Literally, he's, he's like, do you want to see the house? Like, this is what it looks like. That's actually but, really clever. Do, I don't want to skip over that. So number one is he's getting free power on the idea of putting solar on these homes as he builds them. Tick. And then two, if he does a sales call, which I'm going to say is over Zoom or, or you know, I suppose you can do video call on everything these days. Yeah, FaceTime, et cetera. But he's showing them the product in the sales call. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like this. I'm at the yard now. Like this. Is, <laughs> it's so good. Um, and dude, the yard's tiny. Like, and, and I say this from uh, like if you're getting started and I know exactly how much one of my mates pays for this yard. It's 800 bucks a month. Like it's, it's not ex- crazily expensive. It's not crazy to think you couldn't go to an agricultural area or a factory area and find a cheap land availability somewhere. I got one more for you. This is actually the back of someone else's yard. They've got this exactly. massive construction, like a huge like factory, and they just portioned the back and they just said anyone who wants to like store things. So they've got like one of the other ones is a caravan storage is like right next to it. <laughs> and so they just had this empty spot. But I'm like, you can totally bootstrap this. Right, like if you went and rented something like this, and you had a team, or you had yourself, to even if you wanted to get started, rent something like this, call it a thousand bucks. It just depends what your location and the size that you go for, and then start selling some things, put it together, and like you can use your first deposits. Which leads me into the the main point that I like about this is the cash flow cycle. Is because this is focused on the second dwelling, most people have existing equity on the current dwelling which means i get to price these things which would be i don't know 100 grand 150 grand whatever it may not may not be i actually need some rough pricing i think the average one in australia is between 100 and 200 grand for a Perfect. granny flat because i'd look i'd done a bit of research on this because i plan on putting a granny flat on one of my properties so See, look at that and uh yeah and so you go great take 50 percent up front 50 percent upon completion they it's on them to go and get the cash right so my hypothesis is that some people will just refinance, grab some cash out of their current property, which is where they want to put the thing, and then transfer them to me the cash for it. Right, but that would make the assumption your margin's over 50%. Uh, correct, on the construction of it, which means I'd have to price it in. Right, so th- this is where I see a potential flaw, and I suspect you've thought about this. But let's say it's used round numbers. It's hundred grand for a granny flat. I can't see the margin being over 50% on that when you look at labor and materials and everything that goes into it, like maybe 30. Yeah, you're not, you're not going to be hitting your 80% margins on this. I, I couldn't find an industry like that. Dude, I looked at, I looked at bomb shelters and stuff. Like, 
So you've like, still got a cash flow negative cycle here. Totally. So how are you circumventing that? Oh. Like how fast can you build these things is really the question that comes into it. And that that is a question for a, a technician. Like I, I know my mate can turn his around within five weeks as long as he's got the prefab. So it's not like it's a huge thing, but again, you've still got the cycle of the upfront payment and then the payment upon completion, right? So there's still that cycle that sits between it. But the key layer to this is if you were to actually utilize them for your own investments. So imagine you're a builder with a license, Charlie, and you go and invest in a block of land, go and throw a a second dwelling or like a, a smaller house, which is your second dwelling business on that block of land and actually accumulate your investments via that mechanism. Do you not feel that the challenge of this though is like the cash requirement? There is a cash requirement. I'm not, hey, I'm not putting it out there that you can start a lot of things with zero cash. And this is a business that you would still need to be able to set it up. You'd need need to buy the resources. You need to have the people, et cetera, to do it. But I know this guy's already got a business. I know that he's already making money. So this is where the experience of trades is is an interesting thing. So in the in the trade industry, particularly cash flow is the big one of, Huge. if not the biggest challenge. It is the number one reason. Actually, it's the second reason they get taken out. Number one reason why trades fail: divorce. <laughs> I don't I'm really. Oh my god! Yeah, I, I could not believe it when I learned that. That's the number one labor. reason why trade businesses go under is actually divorce. Wife takes them for half. I shouldn't make an assumption, so it's a guy, but, you know, we should. And then in that period where they lose half their money, it's actually cash flow that takes them out as a secondary consequence. Get out. Not even joking. But to the point of this, I think we can solve this on the fly. I actually love this idea from a reason. It's just that the challenge is is you're suggesting that, um, okay, well, we know we've got a negative cash flow cycle in building these things. Where am I ever going to get the money out of this business to be able to buy investment properties and then fund putting a dwelling, a second dwelling on it? Because uh, just to look at the pros and cons here, in my model, I went very cash flow positive. You went service. You're paying for the service as I'm. So I pay for a hundred bucks for the person. I'm charging you two hundred bucks for it. Completely. Yeah, but there's also a very low asset cost. Right, because I'm not fronting builds or big amount of labor or five week cycles. So, like, you could run this from a a van out of your own garage. Totally. Where in this one here, even if you're renting a yard, the cost of producing the dwelling is quite high. So, it's like you're either going to have to do something else to find the cash, or you've got existing capital, or potentially you're going to have to take on funding. If anyone's got this idea, I'm more than happy to fund. No, so (laughs) go. What did you say? You've got a friend that's doing this? Like, are you going to? He might be doing quite well out of it, but yes. I would think that you need to take on some sort of funding partner to pull this off in that manner. Do you agree or not agree from that type of scope? No, so I would agree. To get it started, yes, I I concur. All right, so let's say you go from doing one of these uh, builds every five weeks and then the next customer comes in and the next customer comes in. As it grows, your cash cycle gets worse. Totally. So aren't you... you have to need funding. It depends the speed of scale, but yes, to an, to an extent, you would either have to get some kind of funding, whether it's from a, an actual funding partner, a bank or otherwise. But like it's it, this is a problem that people have solved many times before. So you're not dealing with a 90-day cash cycle. You're dealing with a, upon project delivery, which is Which I is five it. weeks in your estimate here. Give or take, one to two months, call it. 
Okay, so that's a sixty-day cycle, which is still a challenge in here. I just I look at that and go, that is still something that you would want to make sure you get right in this model because that that again becomes the Achilles heel. The is it's interesting. The cash flow cycle was one that I was able to reduce, not omit. Like it was one thing that as I was looking at being a builder, I'm like, I, you just can't complete well, outside of doing the services and something similar to what you're talking about for a business like this. Like you just can't omit it. But do you know, I find this really fascinating, right? It's if you go into the SaaS world, they're almost like, of course you just get funding. We fucking talked about. It. Do, you, do you know what I mean? Like the totally. attitude in that industry is like, how dumb would it be not to get funding? Yes. Why would you use your own money in SaaS? Right. Legit. Like I've literally like heard that as a phrase. I have said that in board meetings. <laughs> yeah, but you come over to um, the builders here, and like I actually think this is a like. Let's just look at risk. What's riskier? Uh, something invisible you build on the internet that could get uh, at any point made redundant or obsolete, or dwellings in Australia for people to live in when you've got a four hundred thousand <laughs> shortfall in properties. I know what I would fund if I was a bank. Totally. Well, I actually know companies that fund this. <laughs> I would say, I mean, this is, I mean, I know this is your model here, but I, I still want to see it succeed. You know, I'm invested in this. I think the funding thing becomes an interesting part of it. So in the idea that someone could have a 30% margin uh, business in this, yep. would you take 25% margin? So you've just lost 5% of your profit, but you had a sustainable funding partner. That seems like. Hands down, because funnily enough, the the funding partner potentially would be someone that would provide fun, funding for other people on it, on the actual dwelling itself. So I, I know of organisations that are the funder between developers of like townhouses because the banks don't want to touch it, for example. And well, that's where I'm pulling from here in developer world. This is almost just like a, the hard money lenders, literally. So they they would be the ones that I'd look to have like a, a unique type of OD or like an overdraft. Or they would be actually part of the business with it. But so I, would again, you? I, in it's this so case, funny that yeah. my mind always goes back to like money's not a limitation. I don't know why. <laughs> it's like man, it's like it's all solvable, Charlie. Like what are you talking about? I'm still scarred from my trade days. It's like basically, <laughs> if I and anyone who's a trade that's listening to this, I like I honestly feel that twenty percent of the uh, time uh, my boss used to spend is just chasing cash. Yeah, don't, like, don't. I think that is something that was so complained about was just getting cash. You know, the, getting cash, one, getting cash, getting cash. The one thing I like about this is that I don't deliver it until I get cash. <laughs> like, so it's like where if you're building on site, they've got the thing, and it's like I'm just I'll rip it down. Like if you don't pay me, I'll rip it down. Well, I mean, I will. I could tell you some stories in a different time. Like I've uh, actually we got you know it's our podcast. Oh, it's, it's a podcast, man. It. I'll let you tell a story. Okay. And I know electricians that have taken out switchboards. I know plumbers that have taken water meters. Right? I like if they don't pay, they'll go and take it, and it's just like miraculously everything starts working when the bill is paid. Isn't that funny? Do you don't know people that host websites that it's like oh the website went down. down. Yeah. Oh wait, you're telling me that the internet starts working when you pay your bill. <laughs> your framing is so good. <laughs> you can see I've been in this. I was actually when so you got to remember I came from. Um, the trade into the internet. I was a little bit, I'm like, wait, 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 wait. You're telling me you get people to pay you up front before you start the work and they just like do it. Yep. <laughs> I'm like, 
So you don't go and spend money on materials, do a job, send an invoice, and hope they pay in 30 days. No. And like, and this is my reference to the digital marketing world or no. digital agency world. I don't think people who haven't been in the trade appreciate what goes on in digital agency as much as I do. I'm like, this is the greatest business model in the world. Just hit a credit card, Charlie. Just hit a credit card. <laughs> uh, one, one of the other things on the side of this that I did think was interesting. So I was thinking through like how would I scale this? And so I'm, I'm already doing like service arbitrage or arbitrage where I'm trying to use lower cost labor in an offsite uh, manner in order for me to charge like your metro type of pricing, right? So it's like, great, uh, I'm utilizing that. And then obviously the transport is just going to be one of the challenges. Utilizing the license because there are people that do this that are unlicensed, which means that person who's buying it needs to deal with all like the sewage connections and all those and then have to get a building inspector in and do the thing and so i'm like i'm utilizing that as well as prefab to help with some supply chain and there was this interesting business model that uh funnily enough kogan used to do which i think that could scale this as well which was that would take pre-orders and then they'd use the cash on the pre-orders to buy a shipment of product. And then whatever they had supplied, everything else left. So imagine they took pre-orders for 50 TVs and they bought 100 TVs. The rest would just be the profit on it on the top. And so you could do something similar here, which is take the orders, go and order it offshore, get prefabs offshore and do like a an order of 10 and get 15 and then sell the, the remaining five. I do wonder in this, like, for example, because you're not dealing with a million-dollar purchase, right? It's, and, and don't get me wrong, 100 grand or 200 grand is not a small amount of money either. I wonder if you could go like 65% up front and very much go, hey, this is the cost of materials and labor that has to be fronted. Like if you were good at this and you had a product that people were willing to, they wanted it because it was a better product or a premium or quicker. The time's the key. Yeah, like if you could in your prefab option here get it done in three weeks instead of five or six type of things. There are ways of manipulating this cash cycle and even payment cycle even further. Well, this is why having the builder's license is one of the additional benefits because if you're prefabbing a lot and you've just got things that you just prefab, slap together, <clears throat> get it delivered, connect plumbing, electrical and sewerage and you're the person that gets to approve it, a lot of these waiting for trades to go into a sequence kind of gets eradicated. Because you're like, well, I've got the guys. They just get to push it out, push it out, and just go bang, 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 bang as I progress through. There are I a couple want, of things I that are wonder really another one though. What about this? I'll give you one more. I'm st- and I got to start making your idea better because I want mine to win. That's fine, man. Um, I'm fine with what that. if you instead of instead like instead of having staff that build these prefab things, you Sub- might actually subbing. use contractors and get them to agree to the same terms as what you do. Totally. So hey, we do a build. We'll pay you fifty uh, percent upfront, and then we'll pay you on completion as well. So you could kind of match your payment cycle and costing to whatever you're charging as well, maybe. Totally. You could do uh, – you could also do like a like a retainer so they earn their income as they go, but then as things are placed, they get like a bonus, like once it gets approved. and put Imagine if you could get them to agree to 90-day terms. So you're punching <laughs> these things out in 60 and not paying them till 90. You could you could actually go cost, cash flow positive on the on the costings. Just, just because you're like so creative on the <laughs> – Service. Well, you can see what I'm putting into the importance of this cash flow cycle because cash flow cycle and capital requirements in trade are are huge, absolutely huge. Totally. So that that is one of the ways that I would go about it. 
Zip. Secondarydwellings.com.au. Did you buy the domain? No, I got no idea. I'll do that with uh, boom, boomer conversions too. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think won, Charlie? I'm curious. Where are you at? Uh, don't be biased. Don't just say you. Would, I'm going to go another way about this. I see two very viable businesses here that I think could be incredibly successful over the next 10, 20, 30 years. I think AI and things like that can't disrupt these things as much as other things. I look at it and go, there's probably some already, someone out there already who's not too far off what we've suggested. Like you've mentioned, you've got a friend do it. And there's someone putting in lifts and boomer renovations now. Can I, can I tell you something? What my mate does? Dude, he's got uh, someone offshore that puts together his project plans and makes his orders for part, like for the prefab. And so he's literally utilizing offshore labor to go and do all of these other things. As Not well, surprising. And it wouldn't even surprise me in time. Although, again, like 3D printed stuff becoming cheaper. Yep. It wouldn't surprise me if you can get kit homes delivered today. I don't know if they're up to standard or scratch, but there are ways where you may not even have to do all of the prefabbing yourself. You might be able to buy things that are prefab to a certain degree and you're just modifying them to be suitable for install. Totally. I, I don't know the specifics, but the point I would make here is I'm very confident there is some people out there today making a killing in this either very closely or about to. Or about to. Yep. I could go. And the demand's only going to go high. Same with yours. Like it's, it is, a, it is a, a wave that is already here slash coming further and further. Wait, are we sure we shouldn't do this ourselves? I was going to say, I'm like, if anyone's doing this, hit me up and you need funding, just uh, message Charlie and I and reply back to the newsletter. Charlie, did you know we got a newsletter? We have a newsletter? We do. Uh, I'm going to wrap this episode up. Let's do it. Thank you very much. Uh, Just remember, reply back to the newsletter and say who won. So, and if you're like, Grant, I've never heard you say the newsletter. I got (laughs) businessandinvesting.com forward slash newsletter. (laughs) Put in your name and email, then get a newsletter. And reply to that one. Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be the newsletter for this episode. Like, just reply to any of them and just say uh, it's spelled G-R-A-N-T and it's wins. So, Grant wins. It was my idea. Done deal. Thanks, Charlie. And catch everyone else on the next episode of Business and Investing.